The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, the climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, and I am beyond excited for today's guest. Dr. Catherine Hayhoe is an atmospheric scientist who studies climate change. In her own words, I don't accept global warming on faith. I crunch the data. I analyze the models. I help engineers and city managers and ecologists quantify the impacts. Her work has resulted in over 125 peer-reviewed papers, abstracts, and other publications, and many key reports, including the U.S. Global Climate Change Research Program's Second National Climate Assessment, the U.S. National Academy of Science Report, Climate Stabilization Targets, Emissions, Concentrations, and Impacts Over Decades to Millennia, and the 2014 Third National Climate Assessment. In addition to these reports, she has led climate impact assessments for a broad cross-section of cities and regions from Chicago to California and the U.S. Northeast. The findings of these studies have been presented before Congress, highlighted in briefings to state and federal agencies, and used as input to future planning by communities, states, and regions across the country. Today, Dr. Hayhoe serves as the chief scientist for the Nature Conservancy, a place I used to work, by the way, and is also a Paul Whitfield Horn Distinguished Professor and the Political Science Endowed Chair in Public Policy and Public Law in the Department of Political Science at Texas, Texas, Texas Tech University, say that three times, where she is also an associate in the public health program of the Graduate School of Biomedical Sciences. But more than that, listeners, she is one of the nicest, most down-to-earth people. It must be because she's Canadian. And she's so good at taking complicated science and making it understandable. If you've never watched her short video series, Global Weirding, go Google it. So many valuable resources in seven to eight minute bites. It's fantastic. And she's also a big proponent of using your shared experience with someone to connect on the issue of climate change. So I've hyped her up enough without further ado, my conversation with Dr. Katherine Hayhoe. Welcome back, listeners. It is my greatest honor to be sitting here on a Zoom with Dr. Katherine Hayhoe, everyone's favorite climate scientist. I think I can say that, Dr. Hayhoe. Thank you. Um, so listeners, I had also the uh, greatest honor of hearing Dr. Hayhoe, read from her latest book, which I'm holding up. You can't see it, listeners, but you should all get it. Saving Us, A Climate Scientist's Case for Hope and Healing in a Divided World. I wish we were there right now, having a glass of wine, listening to you talk. Oh, I know. And our our world, I feel like the title of the book is even more apropos today than when I first named it about a year ago, isn't it? It sure is. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting. You do mention this in the book, just the, that this sort of rejection, I call it demonization of science. I just thought it was about climate change until we saw the coronavirus hit. And then you very astutely note that this is less 
a rejection of science and more about identifying with the tribe. Completely. Because if we truly rejected the science that says that the planet is warming, we would be rejecting the very same physics that explains how stoves heat food and how airplanes fly. And I've run into a lot of things on the internet, but there's not a lot of people who say that airplanes don't actually fly. <laughs> well, now you probably challenged somebody to come forward, but yeah. And I, you know, here at Republic Yen, as you know, and, and mentioned in the book, we work hard to speak to our tribe about this issue. And, and one thing that I think you're so um, smart to point out to people is that you really have to find that common thread that you have with somebody in order to have a good, um, productive climate conversation. We do, because so often our conversations about contentious issues and climate change is right at the top of contentious issues, and it's been there for over a decade. We begin with something we disagree with somebody on rather than something we agree with them on, or they say something and it sets us off. And so immediately we're arguing. And if that's the way we begin, the chances of that conversation ending well are slim. Well, and it, it doesn't even matter if you're close to the person as evidenced by you have the cranky uncle that I often use that as just sort of a symbol of the person in your life who is dismissive, but you actually have somebody in your life like that. Well, and, and most people do, I have found. And I would actually say that it's harder with someone the closer you are to them. It doesn't get easier. It actually gets harder. So describe to our listeners a way that they can find, you know, maybe a, a time that you found a very random way to connect to somebody that didn't have to do with your background in science. It didn't have to do with the very large state you live in or the very large country you come from. Sometimes that's not enough. You need that specificity in order to really bridge that gap. Yes. So I was reading the, or I should say recording the audio version of Saving Us um, last August. And they didn't give me much notice. I literally had to do it in three days in a studio. It was just this this massive <laughs> campaign to get the whole book read in three days because I was reading the audiobook myself. And I was in a studio with a producer, a local producer, and we were doing it over the weekend. So we were the only two people there. And after I did the first three-hour session, I came out and he had a very bemused look on his face. And he said, I didn't realize this book was about climate change. I have a few questions. Uh -oh. And I said, I said, sure, we can talk about it over lunch. So, so we got our lunch and he started in with his questions. And I also started in with my questions. And my questions were related to him. I wanted to know, you know, had he grown up here? How long had he lived here? What did he enjoy doing? And I started asking him how he had seen things changing. And pretty soon he was telling me about how he had grown up going fishing in the same place, but he saw how development was changing it, how the water was getting polluted, how it was a lot warmer than it used to be, and how that was affecting the fish species. He is an avid skier, and he was telling me how the ski season down here in the southern United States has gotten shorter and shorter, and it's much less predictable. Before we knew it, he was telling me how his life had been affected by climate change without realizing that that was what he was doing. So. All I had to do was connect the dots and say, you're absolutely right. What you are seeing, we're seeing across the whole country. Ski resorts are opening later in the year. They're closing earlier. There's less consistent snow. We're speaking to each other right now during the Winter Olympics, and yeah. we already know that this Olympics is run entirely off artificial snow. We know that 
20% of past Winter Olympic venues no longer have consistent snow and are not reliable anymore. We know that these things are being affected and it's part of a bigger pattern. And so what I was doing was I was starting with something that he cared about and then I was validating his experience and saying, you are right. And then I was saying, and here's why it's happening in this bigger picture. And before long, we were really on the meat of the issue, which is how can we fix it? Because 99.9%, and you know this too, 99.9% of the denial of the issue is solution aversion. Yes. People don't think that there are solutions that are consistent and compatible with their values. But if I say it's a real problem, but I don't want to fix it, that would make me a bad person. So we engage in what's called motivated reasoning, where we go out and we find reasons to explain why it can't possibly be real. Because if it was real, clearly we should fix it if it's a real problem. But if I don't want to fix it, it can't be real. So our reasoning is completely backwards. And that's why if we just address the sciencey sounding objections people have, we're just like Don Quixote tilting at windmills. The real problem is not the windmill. It's over there. Solution aversion. I think that's so smart. And it's, it's just so, so much better. I think so many people would think, okay, she's a climate scientist. So she probably has some talking points in her head that she throws at people, but you're never going to win, win. And by win, I mean, bring somebody into a space where they uh, accept the science. I am with you on not using the word believe, by the way, um, accepting the science because then you just retreat even farther. If you feel dumb, if you're, if you feel less than, then what do we do? We like put that shell on, right. And we retreat. I don't like to have conversations about things that I don't know about when they're being conducted in a way that makes me feel not smart. Mm -hmm. So we all want to learn and, and it's fun to enter a conversation where you're learning something new, but if you feel like you're being talked down to, and you're already coming from this position of defensiveness, then that's not going to be a really a winning strategy for getting somebody over. No, it isn't at all. And I see this again and again on social media, because on social media, it's really hard to have a positive discussion because you're not looking at each other and it's too easy to treat other people as not even human. And so when people post false information on my Facebook page, for example, uh, because it's a scientist page, I say, I'm sorry, that's false. Here's a resource that you can use to update your understanding. Please do so before you reply. And people will either ignore it or people will post another false argument without looking at it. Or people will say, how dare you say that you know what the truth is? How arrogant. And it's like, well, I mean, scientists have studied this for 200 years. And if you're going to decide it isn't real, you really need to look at what they've studied. But you're right. We're, when we're engaging in the brain and the intellect, it immediately devolves into a he said, she said, I'm right, you're right. And you mentioned the word win. Really, nobody wins when we do that. That's right. But when we connect from the heart, and again, it's really hard to do this on social media. And that's why I advise doing it in different ways. That's but why I advise people to ignore social media. <laughs> <laughs> if we could, that'd be great. Uh, on social media, I feel like what I do on social media is I try to give people the talking points they need to engage with others in their lives. And when I say talking points, it's not really about the science. It's about how it matters to us here and now where we live and what real solutions look like that people can get excited about and share. And you get called a lot of names on social media. I mean, really horrible, horrible things. And yet you're still so upbeat and optimistic. How do you do that? Well, 
It definitely is tough because on some days, you know, it's just one or two. Other days, like two days ago, I think it was, I counted, it was 58. Oh my God. 58. And, you know, imbecile, nutter, whore, like all of these are words people wow. use all the time. And it absolutely is discouraging. I mean, who could not get discouraged when you're just constantly bombarded with this avalanche of hate? But what I had to realize when I decided to engage on social media was they don't know me mm-hmm. and they're not actually reacting to me. They're reacting to something that they perceive as a threat and they're trying to defend themselves against a threat. And if they're doing that, they can't listen to anything I have to say. And so that's why I have a very firm blocking policy because if people are already worked up to that degree of emotion, they're not going to back down. They're not going to respond. They're not going to, you know, if I extended, you know, an olive branch multiple times, which a few times, you know, I've tried, I've experimented with trying to extend olive branches to see what happens, but if there's no respect, they won't engage. And so that's why that very narrow percentage of the population, they're very loud on social media, but they're really only 7%, the dismissives. Yes. My policy is on social media, block and move on. And my policy with dismissives, the seven percenters in real life, is to say, you know, if they're a relative or somebody I know well, is to say, I love you, but you're wrong. Now let's talk about something else. Yeah. Or if, they, if they're not a relative or somebody who I know well, I would simply say, you're wrong. And did you know that we have more jobs in the clean energy industry than the fossil fuel industry? You're wrong. And did you know that, um, you know, here in Texas, we already get actually just this past fall, we got a third of our energy from clean energy sources. Um, Mm -hmm. You're wrong. And did you know that the biggest army base in the US is already almost half powered by clean energy to save taxpayers tens of millions of dollars? And then when I do that, sometimes they'll stop and they'll say, why are you saying these things? And I'll say, well, do you have a problem? with saving tens of millions of dollars of taxpayer money? Do you have a problem with Texas leading the United States in wind energy? Do you have a problem with growing new jobs that people need? And when they say, well, no, I guess not. I say, well, then we agree on the solutions to climate change and that's all that matters. All that matters. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. You talk in your book about how seeing is believing. And this really resonated with me because I feel deeply that I need to get to the Antarctica before it's gone or before it's, you know, and, and yet, you know, obviously I see, as you mentioned earlier, the, the person, um, your, um, book reader person who uh, talked about the lakes and fishing and so forth here in the DC area. I live in Maryland and, you know, we see more hotter days and I'm reading all these statistics, right? That 80% of Americans in 2021 experienced a heat wave and the number of Americans, and I'm just talking about here, right? Like obviously across the globe, so many more people are feeling impacts, but how many people were part of one of those $21 billion or more natural re- uh, natural disasters last year, and many of these disasters being caused by um, climate impacts. So seeing is believing, but w- so many of us are seeing it now. So do you think there's a disconnect between what people are experiencing and then what the cause of those experiences are? Yes. So what what is happening is climate change is loading the weather dice against us. Mm-hmm. Wherever we live, it's as if we already have a pair of weather dice and we always have a chance of rolling a double six, a storm, a heat wave, a flood, a drought. You know, these occur naturally. 
But as the world warms decade by decade, it's as if it's sort of sneaking in and taking one of those numbers and turning another number into a six and another one into a six and then taking another pair of numbers and turning them into sevens. And all of a sudden, you know, you might live in Houston, Texas, and you're saying, we just had three 500-year flood events in three years, and only one of them was Hurricane Harvey. How could that be? Right. Or you're living out west, and you're like, it's 118 degrees Fahrenheit in Portland, Oregon. How could that be? The answer is global weirding, as I call it. I love your global weirding episodes so much. That is such a fantastic resource. I've recommended it to friends who have... Um, children pre I mean, my kids are older, so they're teenagers mostly who are really worried and, and despondent, right? About the future. And I always say, tell your kid to go watch global weirding because it, even in those videos, you give some hope with the explanations. And I, you know, one friend whose son was telling me we only have 13 years and then humanity is going to be gone. And I was like, it's not 13 years. We do need to work to save ourselves. Right. But it's not like in 13 years, poof, we're all going to be gone. And so go watch these series and they're informative and they also leave you feeling like you can do something about it. Uh-huh. And that's what we that's all need. That's totally true. Because if we're only ever as doomed as we believe ourselves to be, and if we yeah. think we are doomed, we won't do anything because what's the point? Right. And then we truly will be doomed because if we don't do anything, we'll never be able to fix it. Well, going back to seeing is believing my grandmother actually just passed away a few weeks ago, which is sad, except that she was 104. That's double my age. So I think back and, you know, we've had these conversations about what she saw over those 104 years and really in her life, she was only sick those last two weeks of her life, like just very healthy, survived two pandemics, did not die of COVID, um, you know, wars, outlived two husbands, all her siblings, peers, but she also saw so much change. She saw airplanes, right? She saw um, computers. I mean, she would read my blog and then comment on it. And then my kids were telling me, oh yeah, she would, uh, you know, grandma June would email us. I'm like, grandma June emailed you, but she didn't email me, (laughs) but she knew that that was how to connect with the youngest generation. And so, you know, when you talk about climate patterns and trends, I feel like her lifetime is a trend, right? When we, when I saw you speak in the Shenandoah, you talked about these warming stripes and knitting a warming stripe. Maybe it would be a scarf. I don't know. I, I'm not a, I'm a very um, beginner knitter. So I'm not quite sure how big 104 stripes would be. And maybe it depends on the size of the needles you use and the thickness of the yarn. But should I, I'm thinking I should do this. Shouldn't I, should I knit this for my grandma in her honor? I I definitely think you should. And so 104 rows is not, I mean, you might actually need a little bit at the ends, but that would be such an amazing way to memorialize your life and such a great talking point when you wear that scarf around. And there's actually a company called Tempestry that will put together the colors that you need to knit the warming stripes. I am totally going to look that up. Listeners, stay tuned for my progress. Maybe I'll post a picture on social media um, that I abhor. But um, anyway, it is part of our lives and we have to use it. I had one more question that I wanted to ask you about. And that is, um, you know, because you do talk about the tribal aspect of climate change and, and we are very tribal, right? And we all kind of get in our silos. So if I'm talking to somebody about climate on, 
you know, and connecting it with something that we share, whether it's knitting or gardening, I'm an avid gardener. So maybe it's gardening. How do we thread the needle between doing that? So having that conversation with somebody in that spot where we overlap in our, our beliefs while not remaining so siloed. Well, I think you should have answered the question in the question. Did I? Is, <laughs> um, people often say to me, well, I don't know who to talk to because everybody around me feels the same way I do. When you look at surveys, though, it turns out that the vast majority of us, over 65% of us, we don't even talk about climate change occasionally. So if we're not talking about it, how do you know that people feel the same way, A? And then second of all, we often think that the only reason to talk about it is to convince somebody it's real. That's not the biggest problem we have. The far greater problem we have is that 70% of us are already worried. 83% of us who are moms are worried. 86% of us who are young people are worried. That's how many people are already worried. Yet you know how many of us are activated? 8%. 8% are activated according to Yale Program and Climate Communication Survey. Yet 70% of all of us, and again, 83% of moms, 86% of young people are worried. That's yeah. the biggest problem we have. So what is the purpose of our conversation? It's not to bludgeon people into agreeing with 200 years of solid science. Trust me, that's not even the, the real problem they have. They don't think we can fix it. It's to show everybody that yes, there are solutions. And yes, every single one of us has a role to play. And you know how our role begins? By using our voice to have conversations that explain how it matters to us here and now and what real solutions look like that we could implement not only in our personal lives and our homes, but even more importantly, where we work, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our church, in our Rotary Club or Qantas Club or our kids' school or with every group that we're part of, focus on engaging not our carbon footprint, but our climate shadow which is how we influence those around us to change. And how do we begin by doing that? We begin by having that conversation. That is how change begins. I think that is an excellent spot on which to wrap up. And I will, there was a question I was going to ask that I'm going to make the listeners go back and read your book to find the answer, which is what gives you hope? You do address that very last chapter. So listeners, grab yourselves a copy of Saving Us, A Climate Scientist's Case for Hope and Health hope and healing in a divided world. And Dr. Hayo, it was such a pleasure to see you in this um, remote way. I love that you were doing virtual before the pandemic. It is a great, you know, you were looking at how, where, what your carbon footprint was and how you could reduce it. And, and I think that's great. And we all need to do a little bit more of that without feeling like all of the burden is on us, right? Because I do have that happen to me sometimes. That's right. It's not, it's not only about our carbon footprint again, it's about our climate shadow. Climate and shadow. When we have these conversations. That's how we change the world. And if, if you're wondering where to start, well, my book is a great place to start. It's full of stories and interesting things you can share with people. And I'm putting discussion questions on my website so you could have a book discussion group with Saving Us. What about that? And what is your website if listeners want to head over to that? My website's my name, just katherinehayhoe.com. You have to make sure you spell Catherine right, though. Two A's. Two A's. I always remember, you just have one E in your name, and it's at the very end. So yes, that's right. <laughs> and listeners, also, if you happen to be on social media, why don't you go throw a compliment at Dr. Hayhoe? We'll try to balance out some of that negativity. So <laughs> thank you so much. Welcome back from the Olympics. I have missed you so much. <laughs> I miss you and I missed my family. I missed 
many, many of the comfort items from home of what you miss while being gone for over three weeks. It is wonderful to be back. It was a wonderful, incredible experience of a lifetime. But man, uh, the the things you miss while you're away, especially on the other side of the world, it it uh, the list is mighty long. But it, it was uh, incredible experience, and uh, I mean, I've gotten to share a little bit about it with you guys. But you know, just the opportunity to have and, and the support you guys gave me to go and do it, uh, I owe you and our entire team at Republican in a sincere, huge thank you. You know, for allowing me to go do that for a while. So, thank you very much, Chelsea Henderson. Well, to those listeners who would like to read a little bit more about Price's experience at the Olympics and some of the um, sustainability measures he saw happening there, you can head on over to our blog, republicen.org slash blog, and his post will be there, among other things, but one of the more recent ones. Um, So, yeah, just so great to watch you and the U.S. um, Olympic curling team in action and so proud of everybody and so here we are, episode three in the books. I did it while you were gone, Price. You did it. You did it, and you did it big with Catherine Hayhoe. What a, I mean, that's star power at its finest with what we do. I mean, she is, Dr. Hayhoe is rock star, is calling, you know, the whatever analogy you want to come up with. She is the, you know, the the rock of the rock stars, uh, and it was a, an awesome interview. I love that you weaved some Olympics in there too, but, um, you know, great conversation and certainly a, a treat to have her, you know, here on the podcast. It sure was. She was such a joy to talk to and, you know, she just is so sharp and so good at um, taking the science and making it digestible and taking the problem and making, you know, having a call to action that feels doable. So, to that. Um, and I'm just so grateful we've wanted to have her on for a while. She is in demand. So was just really happy to, to meet her in person at the wine event in the Shenandoah, the wine book reading, I should say, back in December and to say, hey, let me get on your calendar. And mm-hmm. so that was, it was really wonderful. Read her book listeners. It's such a great read. It's very easy. It's not, you know, it's not a, a science textbook. It's really just about where she finds hope and um, some of her experiences and how you talk to, to reluctant people. And um, so anyway, get get it. Whether you have a reluctant climate person in your life or not, you will benefit from reading it. Yeah, one of my favorite things about her is you know, use several adjectives, you know, to describe her, um, which you can follow her on Twitter, actually, at K-Hey-Ho, H-A-Y-H-O-E is relatable. She makes she makes things, you know, while it obviously science can get very complex and was it uh, paralysis by analysis, you know, a lot of times when you're looking at data and stuff, but she makes things so relatable. Um and she just talks like, you know, sitting down from a kitchen table uh perspective, um and can come at it from different angles. A lot like Bob can, but the way she just makes it uh, relatable and it's just so authentic is is a thing that I just love about Dr. Hayhoe and we're just so fortunate to have her and I you know you were lucky to to meet her back in December I haven't I haven't seen her in person since uh, ironically uh, we were together at my alma mater at University of Kentucky I think it was back in 2014 um, when I was with Bob in the spring there um, so it's been golly it's been eight years almost eight years since I've, I've last seen her, but she has not changed. Uh, she only gets better and better with what she does, and certainly her literary, literary works and um, the amount of uh, media and, and press that sh- she does and, and talking you know, about climate from 
you know, from our backyard and from, you know, the way we do it, you know, as conservatives. But it's just awesome to, to have her back on and can only say thank you enough for her making that kind of time because, like you said, she is somebody that is in demand big time, right? That is true. And, yeah, no, just all the accolades for Catherine Hayhoe, follow her. Go give her a compliment. I'm just – it astonishes me how much trolling she gets on Twitter and Facebook. So go say something nice. Read her book. And um, on that note, Price, yes, on my conversation with Catherine, so as our listeners who have been paying attention know, we are about to start a fun new contest. So this contest tests your listening skills every week from here on out. We, I think when we initially rolled out this idea, Price, we told our listeners that we would back post questions for week one and two, but between the Olympics and everything else going on, we just decided to make it easy on all of us. And we're starting the contest today, this mm-hmm. week, with this week's episode. One question that mm-hmm. I'm going to pose to listeners, and they can go to our website. Um, the link to do that is republicen.org slash quiz, Q-U-I-Z to answer one question about the podcast. We'll take all the correct answers, which need to be in by midnight Eastern time on Sunday. So Monday morning, you and I will come to work and read um, the answers. And then we're going to do a random selection, random draw for one winner of a $25 gift card and a little bonus. They're also going to get a little Republican.org lapel pin. Or, you know, you could wear it on a hat. You could wear it on a scarf. You could wear it on a jean jacket. That's where I usually put mine since, you know, not a lot of people wearing suits still these days. Um, you know a lot about pins having just come from the Olympics. Yep. I remember pin, pin fever back in 1984 when I, the one and only time I've been able to go to the Olympics. So anyway, Republican.org pin fever is a thing. Um, so we'll pick from all those winner, all those right answers. One winner will get the gift card and the lapel pin. And then, you know, we want to see your swag. We want to see our winners. If you take your photo with your lapel pin and your um, gift card and post it on social media and tag us, then you will be automatically entered to win a grand prize at the end of the season of $50. So it does, you know, for a selfie, for a chance to win 50 bucks out of a pool of 15 people. Your odds are pretty good. Anyway, everyone should play the quiz. And here is the question. Are you ready, Price? I am ready. Okay. So in the episode, Catherine and I talked about warming stripes and a particular hobby that is a good way to represent those stripes. Mm -hmm. So I want our listeners to go to republican.org slash quiz and answer for us what the hobby is and how many of those warming stripes, how many uh, rows of stripes would be needed to um, reflect my grandmother's lifetime. So go back over to our webpage, throw in your answer by midnight and uh, on Midnight Sunday, I should say, and you will be entered to win. Republican.org forward slash quiz. I've got that right, right, Chels? Republican.org forward slash quiz. That's where you go to put your answer. Then we will pick a random winner, one winner 
from all the correct answers to win the gift card. And then, as you articulated, uh, you take a picture with your lapel pin that we will mail you, a selfie wearing, holding, however you want to do it. Take it, tag us on social media, and then you are automatically, as the winner of that week, but one more step, just posting that selfie, tagging us, then you are entered to win the $50 grand prize at the end of the season. 50 bucks, the chance to win 50 bucks for, for just a simple, easy social media selfie post it could not be easier. That's right. So get out there and win. If you need to go back and listen again, listen. It was a pretty prominent part of the discussion, though. I tried to go easy on you this first week. So um, anyway, looking forward to seeing your answers and choosing a winner. All right. What do we have coming up next week, Chelsea? Okay. So next week, we're going to do a little... Um, a little historical retrospective, so to speak. We have Bill Riley coming on. He was the EPA administrator under George H.W. Bush. So he was um, guiding the Environmental Protection Agency at the time when the Clean Air Act amendments were passed, which was, you know, a very significant updating of the Clean Air Act and also was, you know, part of the conversation for some of the climate, um, you know, it was it was more climate flirting back in the early 90s that President then President Bush did with the issue of climate change. So I'm um, looking forward to a little walk down memory lane with him on these um, important foundations to where we are today. Awesome. Awesome. Can't wait for that next week. Reminder to get in the quiz Republican.org forward slash quiz. But you got to listen to this episode. So if you've gotten to this point, and did not hear, well, you heard the question, but if you did not hear the answer, go back and listen because this is your chance to win free, easy money. It could not be any simpler, Chelsea. So go back and do it. We will have a new quiz every single week here on the Eco Right Speaks podcast. And until we do the quiz next week, Chelsea, we will talk to you then. Excited to be back. And all I will say uh, on the way out the door from my standpoint, real quick, go Team USA. Woo, go Team. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.